pseudoscience and stuff that I'm like this is awesome and really fun uh, that one just offends the hell out so you don't you don't like the idea of us being created by this super race of like whatever the hell they were seven yeah. foot tall engineers um, direct your voice down to here you don't have to completely okay. hover over it but it's just we only have one mic so we have to kind of or else the, everything sounds far away so okay um so hi Sue how you hi. doing welcome I'm and I'm having a good weekend and all that lovely yes. stuff great yes. um so, we wanted to talk about, uh, tell us about yourself, tell us what you do. Um, um, I'm a professor of English. Fantastic. Um, so, I teach a lot about writing, uh, but in that process I use a lot of non-standard texts. Yeah. So, I use things like comic books and monsters and fairy tales and Neil Gaiman. Uh, yeah. Well, I think yeah. that covers all like of you those do. things. What, what, real quick, what, what is it... Uh, I'm not a reader. I, I, I don't have the brain to pay attention to words on a page. Something has to be moving or talking at me in order for me to engage. Unless it's a very specific thing that really grabs me and, and holds me to the page. Um, it's a thing I've always hated. It's a thing that I've always had to struggle with. It's a thing that I've always had to feel like I'm missing out because I have so many friends who are book nerds and I and I have to just kind of sit and be in the middle of their conversations and absorb whatever they're talking about without having actually read the damn thing myself because I get into where I'm starting to read and my mind just wanders away mm-hmm. and it's it's hard it's a, it's a thing like I said I've always hated it and had a problem focusing with it uh, Neil Gaiman Obviously, the comic book connection, but then also the novels mm-hmm. and everything else that he's involved in. One of my favorite Doctor Who stories. Um, is Neil Gaiman really like a... Is becoming, or has become, the way I see it. I'm wondering, I'm engaging in accuracy here. Has he become like the, a new classical literary creator? 
Oh, that's complicated. I think he has the potential to be. I think in terms of literature and, and canon and all of that, um, it's complicated because there's so many people who don't, who aren't comfortable with the idea, particularly of genre fiction, mm-hmm. being part of that. Mm-hmm. Even with, like totally forgetting like all of these other great literary masters were writing genre fiction right. for their day. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and comic books are really complicated in literature. Right. Um, I mean, I've got colleagues who would say something like uh, Persepolis, which is a great book, but isn't a comic book. It's an illustrated book. Mm-hmm. Um, is that's an okay comic book? Right. That, but Watchmen, that that's a comic book comic. That's that's not okay. Right. Um, in terms of that literature thing. Hmm. And H.P. Lovecraft isn't even technically considered part of the American canon. Hmm. And wow. he, he totally should totally be. Totally should be. Yeah. But he's... Because there's, there's he's been some, writing... Yeah, there's some discrimination going on there. But I think Alan Moore and uh, uh, Neil Gaiman are definitely great mm-hmm. writers. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's less about... Uh, the, the reservation a lot of people have is, oh, yeah, comic books are just little, you know, bubbles here and there. It's not real, like, uh, text. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, it doesn't have... You know the thing, same format is not as as beefy as a book should be, and whatever. Well, but I, what I say to that is, you know, all that matters is the story. The medium is a different thing. Yeah. When I hear people talk about writing literature versus comics or whatever, the thing that that keeps coming back is is that whole thing of somebody painting a picture for you in a comic book, whereas with a book, it should be paint. It should be allowing the the reader to paint the picture in their mind of what they're what they're consuming, basically. I don't think there's that much of a difference. I think... um, And I agree with you. I think having taught American Gods, Neil Gaiman's book in particular, where the protagonist isn't white, yet halfway through the book, most of my students are still assuming he's some white guy. Uh Um, Because of course he's got to be, right? He's Uh the the protagonist of a book, and they're always white guys. And I'm like, you know what? I'm white. And you know what? Nobody's ever asked me what race I am. And he's asked that over and over and over in the book. Mm. Um, and so I think that painting the picture with reading, sure, is part of it. But I think it also lets us miss a lot. Um, mm. That if it was uh, in a comic book, we would have seen that mm. early on. Yeah, that the, you know, yeah, you're right. In literature, they don't start off when they're describing the character. Uh, you know, Blake was a third, the six foot tall black man. No, it's just Blake was Blake, and he, Blake did this, and Blake said that, and Blake thought this, and Blake grew up here, and 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 you know, I'm just using the word the name Blake as the name, but but and so there's just this assumption that you get this picture in your mind. It's just some white dude who's having this story happen to him or whatever. So yeah, so I think you're definitely right about that. So back to back to you. So pardon my sidetrack into into Neil Gaiman, but back into what you do. So you were saying comics and Neil Gaiman mm-hmm. and uh, monster fiction, genre fiction, in order to teach literature. Mm-hmm. Well, not to teach literature, but to teach writing. Mm-hmm. And part of the teaching of writing is all of the grammar and all of the mechanics, but it's also teaching them critical thinking and getting them past the you know these events happened in the story. It's getting them to look beyond that and get into things like social justice or racism or Mm. the economy or whatever through fiction and that's what literature should be doing too Uh, but so many of them have such terrible terrible backgrounds with writing and literature and all of that uh, that they hate it Um, that they they, you know they don't want anything to do with it because it's this awful thing that I had to do in high school and there's some secret right answer (laughs) (laughs) the government they're coming for us we're talking about critical thinking they don't like that they don't like it they don't like it but that's so refreshing to hear because what what I what I really um, 
when I was in school, the one thing that I wish I had was a teacher like you that encouraged Thanks. critical thinking. Yeah, no, uh, because that I feel like that's the most crucial skill that you can get out of school, be able to think on your own. And I had to uh, sort of like um, mimic other people around me and get that skill through other people outside of school. Uh, but that's missing from schools in America. A lot of them. Not all of them, but... I think in K-12 through in particular, there, there's kind of been a shift away from that. And with, with all of the other, like, you know, education politics aside, um, a lot of those teachers just didn't have time. It wasn't possible to get into those things because yeah. it takes a long time. I have... 16 weeks with with these people to get them to some level of writing proficiency, obviously, um, but also the level of depth in what they're writing mm. so that they're going to continue to be successful through college. Mm. Right. Because that, that's what I do. <laughs> I was very fortunate. I did not go to... Uh, I did not live in a, in a upper middle... I lived in a middle class neighborhood. Um, I did not go to a rich kid's school. I did not go to a school that had any particular wonderful budget. But I did have one teacher... Actually, I had several teachers who were very, very avant-garde in their, te- in their methods, in their, their choices of material, and who drew out that critical thinking element from us through and were allowed to fortunately for whatever reason in our school district to be able to teach those things the way they damn well saw fit one was my drama teacher and the other one was molly perkins who was basically a college level english professor who was at teaching as a teacher in high school as a senior elective i took science and imagination and we read comic books we read science fiction we read um uh, uh, illustrated Man. We read uh, um, uh, uh, Philip Jose Farmer. We listened to Rush Twenty One Twelve Side One and had critic. Mm-hmm. And it, the whole grade was based on participation. There were no reports. There were no papers. There were no anything. It was you sit. You go away and you listen to or read this thing, and you come back and you talk about it and you mm-hmm. participate. And that got your critical engine. Uh, uh, you know, the critical thinking engine running, and I wound up writing a couple book reports. One of which got I did a book report on the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and as a senior, I got a book report published that my teacher thought it was so good that she published, she gave it to the editor of the newspaper, the t- uh, newspaper sponsor, and had it published in the in the uh, the school newspaper. And it was like, wow! And this that was a class, and it completely reminds me, or it seems very very much like what you do. And the conversations you and I have had about what you do, when you and I first met, we first started talking about what you do, and you were just kind of like there with your vapor, and you're just like, I'm a college professor. I'm like, (laughs) cool, I'm in a goth club, and I'm talking to a college professor. And she goes, and I said, so what do you do? Well, I teach writing, and I teach critical thinking and writing, and I use comic books instead of, and explode. I'm like, wow, there's more, they're out there, yay! You know, and it gives me hope for the education of the of the America, and because of so much of that is lacking. So there are more of us. I mean, I have uh, my a friend of mine who I refer to as my teaching partner. Um, she does a lot of the same things, and that's kind of how we bonded. We were sitting in the faculty lounge, and we were just kind of talking about stuff. I'm like, "Wait, you do what?" Uh, and she's like, "Wait, you do what?" So we kind of bonded because she was doing a class on tricksters. Uh, we've both used Watchmen um, and other things, so that was kind of our like meeting point was using these 
I guess, kind of unusual texts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, books mm-hmm. that you know everybody else is doing. You know, Great Gatsby or something, and sure. I'm like, look, it's about vampires. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it, it works. I mean, I'm sure, you know, I know I have students who don't like it. They, they think they should be doing something more important, mm-hmm. I think, is, mm-hmm. is how they would probably put it. But <clears throat> if, they, if they're really working with what we're reading, it gets them much farther. <laughs> yeah, the, the job I had before, the one I have now, uh, I was working at a school. And even though I was just the IT guy, I was surrounded by PhDs and master's degrees and, and constantly being... You know, in conversations with people who were way smarter than I was, which was just phenomenally stimulating to me. And and there there were teachers who were using comics to teach English and writing, and it was phenomenal to be around that. And the school book, which is the book that everybody has to read and then have discussions on throughout the year, was the Logic Comics graphic novel, the big thick, mm-hmm. all about Russell Bertrand and and. What a great choice. What a great choice. Because the next one after that was uh, Hunger Games. And so <laughs> it was it was so great to have this mathematical, philosophical, uh, very meta book. Um, that Because half of the comic is them talking about making the comic mm. about the life of Bertrand <clears throat> Russell. And what a great way to tell that story. I, I think art, the role of art should be to uh, act as a mirror... Uh, to people and sort of like show them uh, what's going on uh, in the times and 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 uh, <clears throat> to that point, I think comic books are just as uh, relevant as real books um, in that aspect. You know, if you want to teach people the history of America, or whatever you could do it. You know, with DC Comics, Watchmen is a reflection of the mm-hmm. Cold War era. That's a great book to you know turn kids into on onto that uh, era. Uh, and I, so I think I think you know. I think yeah, the comic books are, are, are amazing, uh, and and I oh, I've always regarded them as like a real um, yeah, a art real medium. Form, a real oh, medium. Yeah. Comic they, books they are be. real books, and yeah. and my whole thing has always been anything that gets kids reading and thinking and their yeah. imagination yep. firing is a good thing, or adults too. Yeah, like uh, you know Harry Potter, The Hunger Games, even Twilight. For all my issues with that, um, it got. If you look at just the size of those books, and I'm like, wait, you got kids to read what? I don't care. Because now they're reading something. Right. Harry Potter, that was a big thing when the first Harry Potter came out. Here's here's seven, eight, nine-year-old kids reading 700-page books and devouring them. Yeah. Wow. And that matters. And I think comic books definitely have all of that. Um, and they can be, um, there's been a ton of research. Uh, there's been a lot of schools who have used it and done like the kind of comic versions of classics and how it can actually help struggling readers a great deal become better and stronger readers um so there's whole kinds of lines of of comic books designed specifically for that or there's classrooms where teachers are just kind of bringing in you know age appropriate it's you know second graders so they're doing like the disney comics or something Mm -hmm. um to get particularly struggling readers to read because it, they didn't have to have all this other stuff. It, it helped them learn the words. It helped them stay focused. Um, so there's tons of research that shows it's a great idea. And in, in terms of quality, that I don't see a difference at all. Right. Between something that's, you know, literature, all capital L, and, you know, what, what a comic book is doing. Right. And as you said, because they're not as verbose as, mm-hmm. like, a Shakespeare play or something. People discard them. But it's just a different uh, type of 
literary, you know, well, you're, platform. You're, you're getting across mm. the same themes, ideas, messages, and I guess ideas is the important word. You're getting across, you're making somebody think about the same ideas using a different mechanism in the brain, using a visual mechanism instead of the reading mechanism yeah. because we spend a lot of research on when you read, something happens in your brain that's different from when you listen to music or different when you watch TV or different even when you read a comic book and read a, regu- read a, n- a non-graphic book. Um, but, but you're still being able to convey that in a full, real way. And, and like... like my example is Anne Rice. I can't read Anne Rice. There's something about her writing that doesn't click with my brain, and I can't get through it. But I have like all of the comics of Interview with a Vampire and the Vampire Lestat. They came out with comic book versions of those, and I know those stories, and I know those characters, and I'm able to engage in the discussion and and involve myself with other people who are fans of that work. But I didn't read the books. I think also, <clears throat> maybe there's an argument to be made here uh, where, you know, we talk about what, 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 what society hails as the right types of intelligence to have. Because there's different types of intelligence. There's emotional intelligence and all different types of intelligence. But, but society seems to uh, only want, you know, like rational mathematical intelligence. Uh, if you can prove that you can do something that's incredibly difficult and cryptic, then we will, you know, say, okay, you're amazing. But... You know, if you can uh, have uh, emotional intelligence and be able to treat people kindly and do this and that, or be an artist and do amazing visual things, then uh, you're not as great, you know. So I think comic books kind of suffer from that as well. I think they do. And I think, Michael, you made a point when when we first started talking about, like, having worked with PhDs and and Mm master's and all that and how intelligent they were, as if you're not... Because you don't have those letters after your name. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got letters after my name, whatever. Um, that doesn't make me more or less intelligent in everything. It means I've got a very specific set of knowledge um, that, you know, I'm educated. But I think there's often a big divide. And I think Ashley right about that, that idea of we value certain types of mm-hmm. intelligences more. Mm-hmm. I mean, when mm-hmm. I spent my entire college career having people tell me, like, why on earth would you go into English? You know, because there's there's no job in that but teaching. Because I want yeah. to. Because I teaching need was like this to. Horrible, horrible thing to do. Because this is my passion. Mm-hmm. That's what I need to be doing. Oh yeah. Because mm-hmm. this is what my brain and everything about me is screaming, saying, "You need to be doing this." <laughs> teaching, writing, and literature mm-hmm. through comics. Did you have a professor or a teacher who did that for you, or did you hit upon, read about somebody else doing it, or did you just kind of hit upon this idea of combining these two things as your passions into the thing that you're doing now? How did you get started in using comics as a vehicle for teaching? I, I know other people were doing it. I didn't know that. The weird thing about teaching college is for many of us, it's like I, I, have, I have a master's degree in Literature, and I specialized in uh, science fiction, British romanticism, and gender theory. Um, so I was I was kind of out there doing my thing, um, and then they're like, "Okay, now you get to teach writing," and I'm like, what, "Wait, what? What am I supposed to do? Like, I have no idea." Um, so the first class I taught, I was given somebody else's books, and they were terrible. Mm. Um, it was it was this horrible novel that I didn't like, and I'm like, "Okay, how can I like try to make this interesting for my students?" They didn't like it. Um, and so I started thinking about the next semester when I was teaching the same class, what, what would work? And I 
went with V for Vendetta was uh, the first because I'm like okay there's politics and there's all these things going on that seem to tie into what was going on in their lives Um, so I brought that in and that was the first time I did something kind of out there Um, and it was it was very supported by my department which was nice Um, they were like sure go for it yeah Um, you know whatever you want to do if you're hitting these key points that kind of mm-hmm. gives the requirement for having had a class in this thing yeah. and gets the, gets the student from point A to point B mm-hmm. over the course of the semester, who you know, I mean, really, ultimately, who cares what you use as long as you get that student to that place, right? Most of the time. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a but at least that's the way it should it, be. It should be. And we have, at least in college, we have so much more freedom. Of course, of course. Because you the, the state state and yeah. federal standards for what a student needs to know in order to have, quote-unquote, graduated to the next grade is different than what yeah. you get in college. Yeah, we have a different set of objectives mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. They're often much broader. Yeah. Uh, sci-fi is such the, the, it's the perfect, perfect vehicle for... Mm-hmm. Uh, telling these stories that make us reflect on our humanity and society and the role of, polit- of government and whatever, like you know, 1984, mm-hmm. before Vendetta, they're, they're just it's it's proven to be throughout history just the right medium to tell these stories. So I think it's really cool that you 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 do that. You use that in your classes. So what's do you have like uh, any su- success stories like a student that really liked your class and then went on to do something great or, or got turned on to sci-fi? I've had a lot of students who've been turned on to the different genres. One of the books I used early on in a developmental level class was Ender's Game, um, which I'm not mm. using anymore. Mm. Um, but I had a student who, you know, she's she was not a, a great reader or anything. Um, but I guess her father was really into science fiction. And she's like, oh, my dad's been wanting me to read this book forever. And I really don't want to read it. I'm like, just give it a shot. I'm like, you know what? At least your dad will stop bugging you. Um, within the first month of class, she'd finished not only the, first, the Ender's Game, but all of the sequels. Wow. Um, because she just got so into it. Um, and so I've seen that. I've had plenty of students who will tell me, uh, particularly with something like um, American Gods that I'm teaching right now, it's the only book they've ever read. Oh, wow. Like ever in their lives, which just kind of makes me want to cry. Uh, because I've read my entire life. I don't remember not reading. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, it's something that they've read. They've gone on to read other stuff of his. They've gone on to maybe look at other comic books when we've done Watchmen. Um, I mean, I've had students who years later, like when, uh, American Gods was bought to be a TV series, who've emailed me back and been like, oh my God, did you hear? They're making it into a TV show. I'm so excited. And they better not cast a white guy. Uh, <laughs> that's one of like, the first things they say. They're, they better not mess this up. Um, so they'll, they'll come back and, and tell me that they're still thinking about these things. Um, I've had that particularly with Watchmen as well, where they've been like, oh, I read this article in the newspaper. And I'm like, oh, my God, you read the newspaper. When did that happen? Yeah. Um, so they're, yeah. they're kind of coming back with these things. Nowadays, I don't read as much as I used to because of my job. Yeah. I read a lot of technical papers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and code and stuff. Right. Yeah. And I forget that, uh, that there's literature out there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I remember reading American Gods mm-hmm. and uh, I used to read a lot. Although when I, when I was in high school, I, I saw it as homework. Like sort of like Stanley yeah. Kubrick. Like Stanley Kubrick has this story where he, he goes into why he didn't read and whatever. And, and he actually read his first book when he was 19. His first book for pleasure. Mm-hmm. Mine was when I was 18. And it was uh, the, uh, I think, uh, the Discussion of the Method by uh, Rene Descartes. Okay. Yeah. Which I've read like 12 times. Yeah. And that's great you know, book. It's a great book. When yeah, yeah. We're going to keep going back to it. I keep going back to Douglas Adams. 
<laughs> and definitely, I think Hitchhiker is that book for a lot of people. Um, and I think everybody kind of finds their book. But, you know, for me too, I mean, I'm, I'm doing this for years. So there's times where I take time off from the book too, where I'm like, I just, I can't do this book again. I need to do something else. Right. Um, so I'm always kind of moving things around. Well, just that keeps you fresh and also yeah. keeps your you on top of your game and, and, and figuring out new ways to incorporate another, something, another work into what you do and, and getting students to that next place. So Yeah, and thinking about what's going on in the world and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so what, Have you read Why the Last Man? Oh, I love Why the Last Man. What do you think about um, it? That's one of Danny's favorites series. Um, I thought I thought it had a lot of really great points, and it's it's funny for me too because I often think about things in terms of could I use this in my classroom or not, um, and I would love to except it's too expensive um, because yeah. there's there's like what twelve twelve trades yeah. or something. Yeah, That's, yeah. yeah. I've got this uh, twenty dollar rule for my classes where I try to keep my textbooks at twenty dollars. Um, so that that's, wow, yeah. would, would only every college professor um, had the same rule. You know, the here time, buy my book that I printed out on a copy I, machine for three hundred dollars. Oh, I printed out on the copy machine and then gave it to them for free. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I think the first time I had a book where I'm like, okay, a this book is like sixty bucks and it, it's dismal. Um, and then wait, there's a new edition in two years mm, that's going to be mm. now $70. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as long as I can get away with it, um, until somebody tells me I have to make fewer copies, um, I do that as much as I can. <laughs> so, so like they'll buy American oh, yeah. Rods or they'll buy Watchmen and that's the only thing. We didn't, they in science and imagination in high school, we didn't, we had, yeah. we had photocopies of stuff, of passages <laughs> from, from Bradbury and blah, 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 and, or Philip Jose Farmer or this or that. So yeah, we were... This is, yeah. what, this is where I hope that uh, Apple... Is victorious in their in their uh, sort of like um, crusade to uh, sort of like get rid of textbooks and just have mm-hmm. iPads because textbooks they're so expensive, especially the the, oh, the, yeah. the the science ones. And they keep oh, getting yeah. thicker yeah, yeah. and thicker and bigger and bigger. And and I mean, my son is fifteen; he's a junior in high school, and he's got this mountain of paper. He's got a tree mm-hmm. on top of his dresser at home. And fortunately, the teachers have finally come around with saying, you don't need to bring your books to class. Your oh. books are for home study. You take them home at the beginning of the year. You bring them back at the end of the year. And now you don't have to spend time covering them and this and that and yeah. the other thing. Um, you know, but they're for, they're for your home study. Bring your papers in your, your three-ring binder for paper, pencil, and paperwork, you know, things, handouts that we give That's you. That's good. When I was in school, I had to, um, I, I was taking nine or ten classes uh, I had a textbook for each one of those classes. Each textbook had a uh, practice uh, pamphlet. Then I had a notebook on top of that. So altogether, it was like maybe thirty things that I had to have like one of those carry-ons. I had yeah. to like you know drag along. I hated going to school. We didn't have wheelie. <laughs> we didn't have wheelie. Wheelie uh, back in the back in the in the nineteen hundreds when I went to school. Uh, we didn't have the the, the rolly carry-ons for school. I mean, we all had backpacks or book bags and. Yeah, it was rough. Hello to hunchbacks. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> we all bent over squat. But yeah, I loved why, but it's it's too expensive yeah. for what I do. Um, I know it is used in a number of different classes, uh, but I thought it was a great story. I thought it mm. really was kind of exploring what would happen, and it's looking a lot of patriarchy. And I think the one thing that always stood out to me is weird was that like opening frame story about the magic necklace that never ever goes anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, and for some reason, I mean, maybe it's just the literature part of me that I'm like, that was just lame. Why didn't you just leave that out? <laughs> right. It, it um, started as a great idea, and then they realized, oh, uh, yeah, eh, not that great. <laughs> and I thought the idea that like you know it's just this kind of thing, and we don't you know we don't have to know 
all of all of the details or anything about it. We can just, and it's been a while since I've read it, but we don't have to know why everybody just died. We can just say they did and go from there and see what happened. Another right. one I really like uh, that I want to hear your reaction on is Transmetropolitan. Oh, I love Transmet. Yeah. Um, That's a great one. Because it touches on a lot of social aspects like gender and, you know, that, that one story where the peop- in the future there's no transgender mm-hmm. by, uh, discrimination, but it's people that want to change, like, actual race, like become an alien race. Yeah. And they're pro- protesting and everything. And I thought that was really interesting to put things, you know, that, this is what why, what art has to do, in my opinion. The relevant art has to subvert things and sort of, like show you under a different light to make you understand. Cause, and that's what it should do. I think you're, yeah. you're totally right. And I think Transmet does that like it skipped so many steps too. Because it's like, okay, forget race and, and forget sex. And forget, we're going to go to aliens. Yeah. And, and it skips, particularly if you think about how almost real, timely it is real now. Real species. Yeah. Race. Not, 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 yeah, species not, race. Not, not ethnic race. Yeah, exactly. Species race, yeah. But if you think about, like, right now, with there's there's so much more talk about about trans rights and even trans awareness. Oh, yeah. This is, this is this book that years before this kind of skipped over all of that. It was yes. like, forget race, forget sex. We're going to go to aliens. Um, and I think it, it has that corollary right now. Yeah, trans <laughs> yeah. The, I'm I'm noticing a lot of trends in in media and just general information out mm-hmm. in the world more and more so of of people who who identify in a certain way or don't identify in a certain way and and how um, as relevant as everything how, how much more relevant that's becoming to the discussion to all the discussions and I think that's really important and that this. Especially this thing with um, what's the what's the woman's college where there's been some people who are trans men who are sci- who are enrolling as women and being admitted Wellesley. and then and then Wellesley College and how there's people who are coming forward now as trans men at at you know coming out mm-hmm. as trans men while they're in, attending Wellesley and they won't admit trans women. They but they only they'll only admit people who are who start off as cis women as cis females mm-hmm. and then whatever transition they go forward oh they're being then there's this other camp of people who are saying oh but you're not you're not embracing all of womanhood because you're not embracing people who are trans women as well or even the genderless and so there's this big kind of thing back and forth and it's just fascinating and it makes it's really made me think I mean I've always been kind of had kind of gender fluid attitudes since I was a teenager about a lot of about about not only myself but other people but there's there's parts of the discussion that never even occurred to me before because it's not within the realm of my experience so it's broadening my horizons in a way that 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 uh, there's a lot of stuff I thought I, I had, a, I had a, a, a finger on about what it was about and this has made me think about things in a way it's, it's so petty when people uh, I think it's in our nature uh, to um, as like monkeys to try and like divide and this is mine that's you compartmentalize and compartmentalize but I think it's so petty I mean we're we're evolved we're, we should be past that I think you shouldn't oh, yeah. judge people based on the, it's 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 just superficial stuff that shouldn't matter their sexual preference their religious bias or whatever you know I'm not saying that we should have like a utopia where everyone gets along but I think you know as evolved technological 21st century humans we should look past that. It'd be nice. It'd be it would nice. definitely be nice. That, if that we're still so hard we're people. still in the middle of yeah. that struggle, and I think that there's places in Europe 
other countries and especially in Europe where they're 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 way further along than we are and an American general populace is on, on a lot of those levels. I mean, we're gotten to the point where we've got a, a majority of states that are allowing marriage equality now and and that's gonna be the next that's that's the next checklist that we're gonna get to see happen in our lifetimes. And, you know, it, it's it's any minute now we need the we need an amendment to the constitution that says if you're an adult and you and you're marrying another adult, it doesn't matter who. So just get just be done with that mm-hmm. let's move on let's move on to some other things i mean we're still we, we have that we're we're getting to that point but yet we're still struggling with with male versus female stuff yeah. we're still struggling with women's issues yeah. in a in just the hardcore way as we always have been yes women can vote yes women can legally get an abortion yes you know but we're still got people who are still trying to hold <clears throat> that down or still yeah. trying to to squash that. Let's and, talk a little bit about like um, like marketing because I feel like maybe this is not the uh, the root of all evil, but the way people react to marketing nowadays, I gotta believe that if if, if TV shows and movies and commercials and and, and billboards were kind of like broadcasting a different message, that it would change people. So I think mm-hmm. oh, we, could, we, we could oh, blame yeah. we could blame Edward Bernays for actually starting this like brainwashing. Uh, over the last hundred years, that's happened through advertisement. Because I, I, uh, I feel like yeah, people do react to advertisements, mm-hmm. man. It's 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 undoubtedly like the driving force behind a lot of, uh, at least American people and their actions. Yeah, I think um, advertising is something I'll, I'll bring into my classroom too because it's easy. They're short, and I can find the commercial and. Like the controversy over that stupid Cheerios, Cheerios commercial with Jesus. like it had like the, the the mixed race family and people were like yeah. freaking out and I'm like okay I saw the commercial I didn't even notice because I'm like it's a commercial and it, oh cute she put Cheerios on his chest because it's good for your heart and I'm like moving on it's mm-hmm. a serious, you know but yeah the people to me that just seems so, so everyday huge. and so mundane and yeah. so normal and people were so completely outraged at how dare yeah. you show this mixed race child and blah and I'm like what. What the fuck? It's like, I'm a mixed child. Seriously? Like, How many people, people exist? Be, we're all mixed race children. I mean, exactly if you think about it. I mean, come on. Well, people's conception of race is, is skewed anyway. Yeah. You yeah. know, but yeah, it's it just to me, like, I think that being this, this controversy, I'm like, it's a commercial that's got a mixed race family. That's the controversy? Because I'm like, when a student told me about it, I'm like, okay, wait, what am I missing? Like, did I not see the right commercial? And I'm like, no, I, I don't commercial. get it. It's like, what, what do these people do when they walk down the street and they see like a mixed couple with a mixed baby? Do they like hiss at them and throw rocks or something? Because it's it's out yeah. there. It's not, it's not something that's like a small kind of like you know percentage like there's a lot of yeah. mixed people out there in America yeah like it's not it's not the 1900s and you know we're, but, we're trying to get people to be you know you know accepting of, of trans people oh which right be, like if these are the people who are freaking out about mixed race what, they get, what, you know, what yeah. else are they gonna I mean, what are they gonna yeah. freak out about even more that seems that seems even more taboo to that segment of the population and it's just like we got such a long way to go yeah. but it, right now it's it's a, it's still it's horrifying to think about how much further we have to go, but it's also encouraging to think about how far we've come and how far certain things... I mean, I was around for the end of the ERA movement kind of stuff in the 70s, and and, and also a lot of, like, quote-unquote, women's lib, bra burner stuff was going on in the news when I was very, very young. And, and so when I think about how... 
where we are now versus where we are then. And I still kind of feel ripped off from the from the early 2000s because it seemed like in the 90s that we were finally moving in a progressive direction as a nation. And then... 9-11 Mon- No, Monica Lewinsky happened and just mm-hmm. shattered all of that. It just <laughs> killed all of that. It, I think, it I sent think, it back to, yeah, that back to start. That again. was definitely the start point, but 9-11 just... It was like, oh, you think you can dream? Fuck you. War. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a new demon we got to go chase. And, uh, you know, we're taking your young. They're going to be soldiers now. And it just ruined my generation, man. Like, yeah. I remember seeing that in school. And I was like, oh, man. I thought I wasn't going to be like my grandfather. Like, another war. I'm coming of age and there's another mm-hmm. war happening. Yeah. And we're still fighting that war. During the yeah. 80s, I was so <clears throat> frightened that there was going to be some other war when, when mm-hmm. Afghanistan started happening and... And this and that, that there was going to be some war, and they were going to fucking draft me, and I'm going to have to be called into this bullshit. And uh, you know, I got to age 26 and tore up my draft card and burned it, you know, and, oh, and was really happy about that. It must and have been frightening. Getting it was, it was, and especially with all the Cold War shit going on, all the nuclear war and all that stuff, and and, and or the you know the threat of that hanging over us, which you know we got kind of a whoops, we got kind of a taste of of what some of that was like. That our parents lived through in the fifties of you know yeah. atomic war, you know bomb drills in the, at school. You told me that you 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 went through a few of those drills, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, we had we had atomic. You know, this is where the atomic shelter is. This is where you have to get to. You know, stay away from windows. Blah blah blah. But we were a little bit past the oh, hide yourself under your desk. You'll be fine. You know, we were past <laughs> that point. But right. but it's like every school had a bomb shelter in the basement, mm-hmm. and those schools were built in the fifties. And we were still going to school in those schools. A lot of the greats, uh, some of the greatest superheroes came out of that atomic era. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of the great in sci-fi uh, in movies and stuff came came out of that era. That's interesting. So, what yeah. other what other works are you have you have you used in your teaching in your classes? Um, I I started my monster class with Dracula. Okay. I was at a college where there was some sort of misunderstanding with what I was doing in the class I was teaching. Um, and I was told I had to use something literary. Mm-hmm. So I'm like thinking about it and I was pissed. And it's like, one of those oh. genre pieces that's considered <laughs> yeah. literature. So, so I'm like Dracula. Nobody can complain about Dracula. Right. Um, and so then eventually I, I just Except kind Ryan of, <laughs> uh, I realized, uh, that there was this misunderstanding cause, uh, this person, uh, my boss thought I was teaching a different class than I was. So then it, it suddenly all made sense. Um, and so I just started kind of building it around monsters and uh, like, you know, Looking at the Cold War and looking at 9-11, that's all about making monsters mm. out of people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, I've used Dracula, people. I've used um, the Dead Until Dark, the first in the uh, True Blood books. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Um, I've used, I've used a lot of short fiction in that class. Have you used okay. the, the Phantom of the Opera? No, that might be one I can put on my list. The reading level might be a little bit high for some of the colleges I teach at. It's pretty flowery. Um, it's... It's, I haven't thought about that's a good one. That's ages really it is. Yeah. But yeah, using stuff like that. Well, I would use, imagine that maybe yeah. some of the students are struggling with, might struggle with Dracula a bit because mm-hmm. of the way that it's told through letters and and very Victorian language and and yes, no, maybe. I mean, uh, even yeah, uh, even as an yeah. adult, even as somebody who knows the Dracula story, Bram Stoker's mm-hmm. Dracula story, back to front and and has seen and or experienced every adaptation thereof still reading that book from beginning then is a struggle for me because of my brain so. one of the one of the hard hard things has to be uh some of the words that you have to actually have a dictionary and 
translate. Well, that is where like the SAT edition of the book is helpful because you can get the one that has all of that done oh, for you and has, has some, some of those cultural clues. Because yeah, it's a different time, but they're also usually really surprised. They're like, "Oh wait, wait, she's a virgin and she's a whore. Why do we still do that now? How old is this book?" Mm-hmm. Um, so they start to see that, oh, or the fact that Dracula is this foreign guy and he's this huge threat because he's a foreigner. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know? Oh the, yeah, the uh, Dracula. Yeah. A lot of the theme oh. of Dracula was about xenophobia. Sure. And, and, of course, the whole thing with the fangs penetrating the neck uh-huh. was a euphemism for sexual relations, and, and the, the, which was mm-hmm. incredibly taboo in society in mm-hmm. Victorian times. You know, the, the pathology of the monster is something that's really fascinated me. That's where the real horror mm-hmm. is in, exactly. in this literature, is the pathology of the monster. You know, So, have you looked at the pathology for like other... Classical monsters like the creature from the Black mm-hmm. Lagoon and stuff like that. Um, some of them, yeah, I use in my class. I kind of expanded. I started with vampires because that was, I think, the one I probably knew the best. I mean, Goth Club, right? Of course, um, of course. I, I can't get away from that stereotype. Yeah. Um, but yeah, looking at things like uh, werewolves in particular is another great one. Um, I love the history of zombies since it comes from racism so much, and it comes from kind of syncretic religions and this. This horrible fear of this alien other who's just going to be these mindless hordes who take over. Um, and I think it works really well now looking at it in terms of that, you know, 1%, 99%. Mm. Uh, we see zombie movies more because rich people are afraid of, well, us. Yeah. Uh, I'm a teacher. Yeah. I'm not a rich people. <laughs> no, no. I mean, and that's, that's one thing that, 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 that a lot of mm-hmm. us, a lot of the 99%ers don't realize is just how terrified we have power they are because yeah. if we get together armies won't stop us guns won't stop us bullets won't stop us stop a few of us and a few of us will fall but if we collect together enough we we can i mean french revolution etc 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 i mean it's and I mean, eventually who knows i mean it, it, it feels like that's what's going to have to come the master to the master of that was uh, romero i mean with his yeah this first trilogy of uh you know mm-hmm. Day of uh, Night of the Living Dead, Day of the Dead, and Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. He treated that. Mm-hmm. He, treated he does, and he, he does. A, uh, the was it Day? Is Day of the Dead the one with the mall? Uh, that's it, Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead. Um, there's one with a mall. I mean, you're like, seriously, you're trapped in a mall. Right. Zombies are going to get you. Like, how can you miss that? And he yeah. has talked. He said he yeah. purposely wanted to have it take place in a mall because he fucking hates malls and he hates that whole thing <laughs> and wanted to turn a mall, yeah. this place that we're being fed in music videos and in cult, popular modern culture and movies and TV of that malls are good and you should go and spend money because it's the 80s and we're, we're prosperous, go spend money. That, that he wanted to purposely put that in a mall and, and have the mall be a place of horror and terror. And that's not the only thing. There's been video games. Uh, uh, the, is it the, uh, Silent Hill 2 or 3 that takes place in a shopping mall? And, uh, two. Yeah, Silent two. And, um, There's actually a great werewolf story by uh, the author Les Daniels. And he takes the werewolf story and turns it on his head because it's a wolf who turns into a man. Mm. Um, And and he talks about how he becomes this monster and it's terrible. And all he's thinking about is getting food for his family. And Mm -hmm. he ends up in a grocery store. Mm. And it's this great him as this animal trying to figure out human culture. And he's like, why do they keep putting themselves in cages? And he gets to the meat aisle. And he's looking at, he's talked about like, it's like the walls were meat and the floor was meat. Um, and he he's he's terrified because he's like, what predator out there can kill all of this and then leave it behind? Mm. It doesn't even need to wow. eat it. 
So it's this great way to look at us yeah. and oh, our yeah. consumerism. As you said, it's, it's a mirror. Yeah. It's a mirror. And that's it's something it's I didn't even consider. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, it's one of those, too, that I think it works really well in my classes because it's not what they expect. Mm. Uh, Susie McGee Charnas has an awesome story about a girl going through puberty who turns into a werewolf. Mm. Um, kind of ginger snaps almost a little uh, bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, that movie's she, good. I, I watched it a month ago and I still like it. Ginger snaps. Yeah. Go Canada. It's, yeah. it's similar. And, and she, yeah. you know, she does the same thing where she goes and she kills this guy who's bullying her because mm-hmm. nobody will help her. Right. Um, right. And it's, it's from the, I want to say the late 80s is what it was written. Okay. I should probably know. Okay. Uh, but even the, the discussion of bullying and, oh, and yeah. how has that changed and how is that the same? Um, can be an interesting way to look at it too. Oh right, right. And that's you well, know, that informed, who's the monster, right? Which which becomes right. at least in my class almost always the underlying question because they keep reading they're like, well, the monster's kind of not the monster. It's no. kind of this other thing every that's, time. That's that's what I think is mm-hmm. the case with the creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh, I love he that was story. just living well, there. It's his habitat. He's just being a being a yeah. being a creature, and then these people come in, and it's like, oh, hello, I'm going to defend myself. I'm going to defend you know where I'm doing and. And he just wanted a friend. He just wanted a friend, yeah. yeah. I remember I watched it with my niece when she was like five or six. I remember we're sitting there watching and halfway through she's like, why are they so mean to him? He just wants someone to be his oh, friend. I'm like, I'm with you. There you go. There you go. I mean, of the universal monsters, that's he's my favorite of them all. Right. Because yeah, he is. He's just, he's just there. He's, he's like, he's the creature. last one. And then they take him to like fake sea world and the next one, it's terrible. Yeah. I, that scene where he's in the cage, they actually capture mm-hmm. him the first time. Yeah. And you yeah. see him, like, just looking. Mm-hmm. And, he's, and just, he's so confused, you know, he doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a, it, it's, a, it's a common trope that we're actually, that the audience, the audience in the zeitgeist has gotten more intelligent to where we realize that the monster is not the monster. The Walking Dead is a prime example of that. The, the worst threat in, in The Walking Dead is not the, hor- is not the horde, it's not the, the walkers. It's the other people that you. It, it's the other people vying for the same resources that you're vying for, and 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 then not only just vying for resources, but also going over that line of inhuman behavior of of completely devolving toward even further than minimalist survivalist basal baser instincts. Things which that, I I believe that if 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 ever a zombie apocalypse broke out. A huge percentage of people would be killing other people, raping, doing crazy stuff. Because I feel like uh, just the social contract of civilization makes people hold back on those desires, but they're still there. So take that away, and it would be even crazier than Walking Dead. Are we as <laughs> only are we only as civilized as our what we agree upon as civilization? Are we are are we truly uh, evolved or enlightened to a degree without the trappings of comfort? That's a question, big, big question. Yeah, and I, I think even I think even the uh, Universal monsters are, are looking at that because they're always it's it's not Frankenstein's monster who's the monster; it's Frankenstein, and mm-hmm. he's pushing those boundaries. Mm-hmm. Even Dracula, I mean, the, the the novel and I think Todd Browning's Dracula do a great job of that need versus want. Mm. And Dracula makes no lines about that at all. He's like, want, need, whatever, I'm just going to go take it. Right. Um, whereas the rest of us are supposed to be concerned about that want versus need right. difference. And the novel right. definitely is, is, is looking at that idea a great mm. deal. So, yeah, I think even the universal ones are looking at where where is it that humans are, are transgressing? What lines are we crossing for generally wants? True. Not even needs. True. I mean, that's that's kind of what America has become as a society is 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 
uh, a whole group of people just indulging their wants, their whims, their just their their momentary fleeting desires, uh, without without concern for consequence of the greater good. Most people are not aware that that all of the products that they consume every day come out of impoverished countries, mm-hmm. and it's impoverished people building your iPhone and and sewing your clothes together, and people are not aware of that, and they 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 making so, your yeah, commerce. Making <laughs> we all have, yeah. It's it's an interesting world we live in, but uh, I, I think you know, media, monster, horror, sci-fi plays a crucial role in, in just does. taking these themes and doing something creative with them. I think it was uh, Neil Stevenson, the author. He actually put a call out recently, wanting uh, science fiction authors to go back to positive features. Oh yeah, so yeah, dystopia. dystopia. Has been, um, and it's you know maybe that reflection of the time. But I love that he did that, where he's like, no, no, you, this stuff is important. And if you think about like how many uh, scientists or how many people at NASA and, and how many people in these fields, we'll talk about you know it was Star Trek that got them, or yeah, Star the, Wars, the, yeah, yeah, um, that inspired them to go into this. That this stuff is vitally important. Yeah. Fighting for a better future now, instead, now of, we're, instead of having to react to a negative. Yeah. one. Now we're entering a. Uh, there's a trend in sci-fi that's looking at. Um, Future, a future in which water is a scarce resource. Mm-hmm. There's like about four or five films coming out this year, next year. Mad Max, the remake, being one of them, that are tweeting this because, uh, yeah, we're going through drought in California. Yep. And global warming's real, and a lot of people are denying it. And uh, I think you know that's one of the roles that sci-fi mm-hmm. should keep playing. But also, I'm one of those people that became an engineer because Star Wars. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's something that people say all the time. Right, um, right. And I know my students who are going into the sciences and engineering, they like the, the, the science-based stuff. Because, I mean, I've used Twilight Zone in classes before, too. Oh, of course, of you course. Know, bring, in, bring in an episode or two of that and, like, okay, what's going on with, like, obsolete man kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it is, it's so important that we keep making it and engaging in it. Yeah, um, I agree. Like, I just saw, I'm terribly behind on things, I just saw Elysium. Oh, okay. Um, was the director from um, District, District 9, League. which was amazing. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching this Charles film. Charles Coakley, or was he just the star of District no, 9? No, uh, Neil Blumkamp. Neil Blumkamp. Yeah. And all I could think was, you know, okay, now I've got the perfect movie to look at illegal immigration. Sure. Um, and I'm like, sure. don't, don't, I'm done. I don't have to worry about that. I got the perfect movie. Like, right. that's set. It's so funny how, how modern, or a, 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 I should say not modern, contemporary, but whatever time period it happens to be produced in, contemporary... Uh, works of science fiction it's just a dress up for some issue that is present and current you look at silent running it's got a heavy heavy environmental message you look at at uh, you know other works like that and and it's always this let's stop and let's think use this Mm -hmm. thing to make us stop and think about what we're doing and what and why the reasons behind them, the consequences. Because a lot of science sci-fi, well, I mean, a lot of drama and everything is about consequence, but a lot of sci-fi is the story that we're looking at at that moment is the direct result of the consequence of, of a long series. Planet of the Apes, for example. Oh, great. A long series of events, of decisions that were made and actions that were taken that, that went, took us down the wrong road. Look at Asimov. Uh, almost all his books are like cautionary tales. Oh, yeah. Civilization, making you know wrong decisions and all that stuff. And he uses a lot of artificial life to sort of show you know the dark side of humanity and stuff like that. <clears throat> so sci-fi has always played that role. It, it's always mm-hmm. like the, 
you better be careful. <laughs> I think it's like the issue fiction without being an after-school special. Uh, where yeah. it's, it's taking that, I mean, even going back to the beginning with Frankenstein, I mean, there's there's Darwinism at mm-hmm. its starting point there. And that, I think, I mean, maybe for us and for right now, we're kind of like, well, I guess maybe Darwinism is still an issue. Yeah. But that, that issue Well, there's definitely social Darwinism. Being, Darwinism being yeah, such a, a lot, huge so. thing. And, and it, this kind of fundamental reordering of, of the worldview yeah. that's going on in yeah. Frankenstein of, of, is this science and this, this uh, constant, uh, and you see it in Dracula too, almost 100 years later, this constant argument between science and religion yes. uh, at odds yes. with each other. And what we're yes. still looking at that when it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. We right. just haven't seen as much, I think, in fiction of, of a reconciliation of those things. They're almost always put at odds. Uh, Sherry Tepper, who's a great feminist science fiction author, does that. Um, you know, aside from looking at, at gender and sex and, and sexuality and all of those things, um, a major theme in so much of her work is environmentalism and then this religion and science issue. How many times have we had the discussion of, 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 of angry male nerds about women in, uh, in genre stuff? And it's like, you don't get it. The first sci-fi novel, the first thing that was sci-fi was written by a woman. Frankenstein <laughs> was the first sci-fi novel. Yes. was written by a woman. And women have always been part of science Always. Mm-hmm. Ellen Ripley. Bam. Done. Walk, drop the mic. Walk away. <laughs> Ripley one of my favorite film characters of all time yeah. <laughs> yeah just a strong badass character and not that's what not, I like I like not James chasing James. after some I mean, dude she's, I know, she's I know, taking I know, care of business I know a guy that has worked on every almost every James Cameron film mm-hmm. and he will tell you the first thing about James Cameron is that he's a massive asshole but he always puts strong women in his mm-hmm. films and that's all like Linda Hamilton in Terminator uh, Sigourney Weaver in, in Alien uh, you know, Soy Saldana and Avatar. It's always a female. And I think more films should come out like that, you know. I was actually uh, reading a news article that they, they they gave Scarlett Johansson the offer to play uh, Motoko Kusanagi in the Ghost in the mm-hmm. Shell live-action movie. And she's, she's like, you know, establishing herself as, like, a really strong female lead. With yeah. yeah. Lucy and uh, mm-hmm. Black Widow and all those things. Yeah. So I think that would be interesting. I'm looking she's forward a, to a Black Widow movie. I want have you one. Guys, have you guys seen Under the Skin? I have not. I really wanted to. Oh my god, that movie's great. You need to watch it. Yeah. That is the one place I fall down as, as like a fan of anything is movies. I, I don't have enough time. Mm, yeah, that's, um, that's required yeah. time. I, I, do, I do small amounts of TV. There's things I'm like really, really into, but then I do that kind of like binge. I'll just watch six episodes at once. Right, right. Um, because of time. Mm. Yeah, I've gotten to the point lately where I just have no time for movies anymore. All the movies I want to see are at the ArcLight. I don't care about most of the stuff that's at the at the local tw- you know twelve multiplex. I have to go see go down to trek down to Hollywood to go see it, and I and I I, I don't have time. And then there's the expense factor as well. We're yeah. buying a house and all that, so it's like, yeah, the the movies that that are that are captivating me. I'm much more interested in the fall movie season than summer blockbuster season. You know, Spielberg and George Lucas have talked about this. They came out about this last year. They started saying, speculating about the future of film, and uh, they came up with an idea. They, they, they think that within the next 10 years, the only films that are going to be showing in theaters are going to be like big blockbuster effects-driven uh, films, and the rest are going to be relegated to TV and, and uh, you know video on demand and stuff like VOD that. VOD services because it's getting so expensive Streaming to go to the movies, oh, man. Yeah. And and what do you get out of it if if you've got a decent TV and, and sound system and stuff at your house? You're not. I'm. It's not going to make any difference yeah. unless I'm going to see that super explosion Giant, blockbuster right, exactly. or whatever mm-hmm. movie. 
Um, I may as well just stay home because I'm gonna have. But then that's the thing. If if that's the thing, if movies, if movie theaters get relegated to those Mm -hmm. giant blockbusters, how much more expensive is it going to be to go out to see a fucking movie? I mean, it's going to be it's going to be twenty five dollars a person, and it's like I'm going there for Mm -hmm. an an hour and a half to two and a half hours worth of entertainment, where I can spend forty bucks and go to a club and hang out with my friends and dance. You're not you're not far from the truth. There's this company that's already making putting together a plan where you pay like forty dollars. You go see the movie, you get a poster, and then you get a link for when the movie gets released on video on demand to download it. And uh, they want it to be the model of the future where you go pay $40 for Transformers right. 10. <laughs> but the thing that the studios fail to realize is the, the reason why people aren't leaving their homes to go see movies is far less to do, at least this is my opinion, maybe it's uninformed, but it's far less to do with... With the fact that we can see everything on our TV, on our phone, on our pad, on our iPad, whatever, and far more to do with the majority of the stuff that comes out that's shown in the theaters is crap, and mm. the fact that a movie is so goddamn expensive and popcorn and, and yeah. drinks and blah 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 yeah. that that for what you're getting out of it, even if it's a good movie for what you're getting out of it, and the time that you're the time you know time is money, the the amount of money you're spending to get that level of enjoyment out of it is in Congress. It, it, it's way, way, way too... If they would reduce the price of movies, if they would reduce the price of popcorn, if they, so many people would be going to the movies in droves. It was and the thing is with like Hulu, Netflix, HBO, Showtime, you get better drama on TV yeah. than on We're in film. another golden age of television. Yeah. We just are. And, so I understand and, why people are not going out to the movies. And most movies, I think... Dismal. Yeah. And um, there's not stuff I'm generally like, I haven't been really excited to go and see a movie for a long time. Um, I get more I'm, excited for TV yeah. shows. I'm trying to, and I'm trying to think of like the last movie that I was like really excited and looking forward to. And I honestly want to say it was like the last Riddick movie mm-hmm. because I love that. Yeah, yeah, that's scary. And so I was like really, really excited for that, but I don't. What I do you know. think about, what do you think about Katie? Uh... Yeah, I was going to ask you, what do you think about mm-hmm. Katie Sackhoff? She's awesome. Yes. She's yes. great. I think she mm-hmm. should be the lead in more movies. I was so happy with their choice for her as Starbuck. And, 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 and I liked her in Starbuck. So oh great as that character. I mean, obviously, you know, whatever side you fall on with the with the ending of STG, but um, but but or a BSG, but 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 having her in that role mm-hmm. that 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 role was such a big major part of the original series, and and to have that that character be such a big forefront at everything that was going on having her be that role and and I mean there's a sh- another show that passes the Bechdel test and we're very happy about that yeah. you know and uh, I, I, I applaud that choice and I like her a lot I think I, I actually even watched Longmire Longmire yeah. Watch, she's great in Longmire. That's a great show too. And watch, and, uh, watch Oculus. She plays the mom. Yeah, I want to see Oculus. Yeah. Uh, um, we that was recommended. Uh, 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 Noah recommended that uh, uh, last week, uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, several weeks ago. And um, so, also your girls in it. Well, yeah, Karen Gillan's in that too. Um, we like her. She was. I liked her in Guardians of the Galaxy, even though she had kind of a small part. But uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, Seeing more women in cinema, the, 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 this whole discussion that's been happening on the internet of why can't we just flip a flip a character around in a script? You write a script and you just put a woman's name instead of a man's name, and, and you have the same story. And what's wrong with that? Why? Why not? Why not? Because it can't be the same story. You know, it's it's the way that we as a society keep thinking about it. Yeah, is it, it can never be the same story. Yeah, yeah. Um, because we're 
still not the we're, same. Because we're still sexist. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, even in my in my job, uh, statistically, mm. I will make ten thousand dollars less a year. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, yeah. And you know, I work for what should be you know the the last holdout of all the liberals, right? Is right. My job. Right. Uh, and yeah. Yeah. what I found, liberals are 10, full of shit, bucks. man. Sometimes liberals mm-hmm. are full of shit. They, 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 they don't really walk the walk. Well, the yeah, the, the yeah. problem yeah the problem the problem is 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 that it's what I touched on before is we're all we are all humans. We all have a knuckle dragging Neanderthal inside of us, and we all have those moments of just don't get it and just don't like you said you don't want to we don't want to walk the walk. Like you said though, it's uh, we've come a long way, and I, I got to believe that because I'm an optimist. You know, it's uh, you know we have a lot of programming. From when we were like mm-hmm. Neanderthals and shit like that, that we're still battling. But you know that aside, when you when you take when you factor that in, we, we're still you know like an amazing. The human experiment has done great things. You know we've had a long run, and I hope we uh, we keep going. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I think we will. I think we'll yeah. be okay. Now. No, I mean there's a lot well, of according to the, doc- the world, according to the doctor, we we go off out into the into the universe exactly. and and every corner yeah. of, of all the universes and <laughs> are around until the very end of time. So to, I, I want to kind of like bring the, uh, the the monster thing full circle. So I want to ask you, out of all the monsters that you've dissected and studied and taught and all that stuff, which one? Is your favorite for whatever reason? Like maybe you identify with it more, maybe you oh like it more. I didn't think I'd get the "What's my favorite monster?" question. <laughs> That's what I do. I, I put people in tough spots. Wait, it's funny. One of my uh, favorite podcasts, uh, aside from yours, because yours is awesome too, Thank you. uh, that I listen Thank you. to is uh, called Monster Talk, mm. and it's the it builds itself as the science show about monsters. So they look at like the the humanities and the origins of monsters and, and the science behind things like you know Bigfoot and the Loch Ness monster, and it's. Often more of the science of why people believe in those things. Yeah, uh, but it, it's such a great show, and that, that's their, that's always their final question. I love you know, what's, your, what's your favorite monster? Um, oh my god! My Even just the monster. word cryptozoology is a fun word. That's amazing. That. Yeah, yeah, it's a great word. Yeah, but I watched In Search of when I was a kid mm-hmm. and devoured yeah. that shit when I was a kid. Aliens, Bigfoot, and Loch Ness monster, and just every little thing you know, and and. So, oh, when I was a kid, I thought I could grow up and be like a paranormal researcher. Like that oh, was like a real that would be thing. So cool! Yeah. I wanted to be, I wanted to be yeah. a Ghostbuster. Yeah, and I'm like, this is what I can do, right? And then I learned later, no, that's not a, a real it's thing. All that fiction, I can yeah. When I, even um, even uh, into college, I still like looked like hunt places up, and I drove up mm-hmm. to them, but I never mustered up the courage to actually go into like an, an asylum well, or whatever. If, if 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 you're if you're a man and you have you work out a lot and get a lot of tribal tattoos and call everybody bro, <laughs> you can have your own TV exactly. show and go become a paranormal investigator. Uh, well, my husband and Girl. I last summer, <laughs> yeah, it was last summer. We stayed at a haunted hotel in San Francisco. Fantastic. Like we did like one actually a really expensive hotel, and we were up there, um, kind of combining a vacation with a conference I was going to. Uh, and so we stayed at this haunted hotel, and it was it was a lot of fun. So we did like a ghost tour and everything. Nice. There's um, one here in LA too. Yeah, we we saw nothing, although we did end up with pictures with orbs in them afterwards. Ooh. So that was kind of fun. That's um, always was, so creepy. It was yeah. supposed to be a ghost who was like it was like a girl's school, so she really liked teachers and children. I'm like score, like I'm a teacher. She's gonna love me. <laughs> nothing the entire <laughs> night, like nothing at all. We did the ghost tour. Uh, my husband says he'll laugh at me because I'll be like, historically speaking, they might be wrong about what they're saying. <laughs> you know, well, <laughs> and the other thing is, if you get pictures with orbs in them, somebody yeah. needs to be a little better at house cleaning. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> use the vacuum cleaner, exactly. use some pledge and a dust rag, and you won't have orbs in your photographs. See, the, the scariest uh, ghosts are the ones that follow you. 
because you're the one who's haunted, not the place. Right. Well, it's like that whole concept of the others or back to the Loch Ness Monster. It's yeah. like, we're the invaders. Uh, Richard Matheson, uh, uh, my favorite no- horror novelette of all time. Uh, um, uh, of course, now I can't think of the name. Story of Echoes? No. Matheson, uh, um, I Am Legend. Oh, yeah. yeah. The human... Is the monster, mm-hmm. not yeah. the vampires. They're just trying to live their lives. Oh my they gosh, thank you by. for knowing they're vampires. Yes. <laughs> Everybody yeah. keeps telling them like they're not zombies. No, no. They're but, vampires. But the, that novelette, that short story, a mm-hmm. 100-page novel, informed Romero to yeah, create right. the zombie horde. Mm-hmm. That's what he modeled it on. The collective... Mm-hmm. That's what the zombies... The, 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 Romero combined the, the zombie legends of Haiti and, and all that with... With Richard Matheson's, you know, tales of hordes of vampires, and bam, that's where you get the zombies. Do you think? Do you think extraterrestrials constitute monsters? That's funny. I get that question in my class when students want to write about them. Uh, yes, I think that we treat them as monsters. Yeah. I think that it's the same that that same other. It's that invading force. It's this thing we can't possibly understand. That's my favorite monster because it's us. It's it's a, such a reflection of on like um, you know colonization and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Where oh, yeah. we've done it to Indians throughout like centuries. Now it's being done to us. Yeah, and, and they're they're better than us and smarter than us and, and all of those things. Well, it, and how do we know they're not us in a future time come Ooh. back and oh, yeah. like the Toclophane on on Doctor Who of yeah. of these are human heads inside of orbs that float around and ki- and kill for fun because they're. They're the ones who went off on the on the starship, and and uh, the master sent them off, you know, on their spaceship to, and and you know, yeah. How do we know they're not us in the future? I, I always like that uh, that idea that the the gray aliens that people see all over the place. It's us in like a million years at the end of time, where we Coming have back. to change the past to survive or something. That's just frightening, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good story. It's it is a very good story yeah. idea. Like I said, they've touched on that on Doctor Who. So um, we, the more I learn about that show, the more I realize they they've done everything. Oh, <laughs> Doctor Who has done yeah, everything. I think Doctor Who has covered just really, about everything. But they're still going to keep covering more. I yeah. I feel I, I I'm so energized by this new series, the the series eight. Peter Capaldi, Moffat's writing is better. Moffat's making better choices of other other writers' stories as well. And it's it's going into territory back to what Doctor Who was originally about, which was an alien in a box with a companion because he thinks he thinks humans are adorable and he wants one with him to keep him grounded, and that's what it's all about. I'm not your boyfriend, Clara. <laughs> Hmm. We're both wearing well, Doctor uh, Who shirts right now. Well, yes, we are. Uh, we're over an hour. Um, uh, plug your stuff uh, if you want to. If you want people to be able to get hold of you online, or if not, either one is fine, and it's just a matter of uh, whatever's up to you. So, um, I can give you an email address if people are interested in okay. you know kind of what I do. Um, I keep my Facebook page fairly private. Okay. Um, although I do, I guess, have one that I give to my students. Okay. Um, there's never anything there because I forget about using it. Because uh, I use my own, right. <laughs> so I do have that. Um, I think that'd be go to college. Okay. Uh, you will find people like me okay. there. I, right. I know I'm not the only one who does okay. this. Um, you so, know, different degrees. All right. So along those lines, what do you? What do you? What's out now that you recommend? What? Do you, what? What should people go check out? Two, three things off the top of your head could be in any medium. Uh, I think they should check out the Monster Talk podcast if they're into okay. monsters at Great. all. Because uh, it's it actually one of their researchers found the origins of the silver bullet myth, uh, which uh, I think is awesome because I've been trying to figure that one out for years. 
Um, I would say... If is you, it the Eastern Europe thing with the... No. no. Uh, and I don't want to give it away. Fine, 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 fine. Um, but the, uh, if you want something academic, there's a great book called uh, Monsters in America by mm. this researcher, Stephen Poole, and he's looking at the history of monsters in American folklore and how we've consistently used them for things like racism and um, all of these things. So it's been... I, I'm loving that book. I wish I had more time to read more. Mm-hmm. Um, to get more into it. And I think that's a great book to pick up. Um, if you want something less academic and you're interested in vampires, uh, Eric Newsom's book, The Dead Travel Fast, is probably, it's he's a cultural critic, but it's a great introduction to the history, the actual history of vampires and not what a lot of people think it is. Okay. Um, and so he does a good job there. I mean, I just saw, I saw Dracula Untold and it was pretty terrible. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's that's, just stayed that's, that's untold. What, that's what I keep hearing over and over um, and over again. And it's like, unfortunate. You, like, it's like, you couldn't even read, like, the Wikipedia page on either Dracula the novel or Dracula the guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, Wikipedia yeah. that, man. It would taken you five minutes. They just clearly were making an action movie for teenagers. It was. It was an that's action movie. Um, you slap the name Dracula on it, people are going to go, oh, Dracula, I know what that is. And go to yeah. it and, and suck it up. Maybe they. I mean, I don't know. I, I laughed through much of it. Um, yeah, I'm like, yeah. no, there, there's nothing going on here. This is terrible. Yeah. Um, so if you want a, like a fun bad movie, sure, sure. Um, and I think uh, the Showtime series, Penny Dreadful, okay, is, sure. is awesome because it's looking at all I'm the Victorian it. monsters and yeah. bringing them back, and that whole meshing of of, yeah. of mythologies, mm-hmm. which which I like. I, well, I love we, that. We talked about the that best, before. The best Frankenstein mm-hmm. monster I've seen in a while. I love the Frankenstein monster from that a lot. I, I thought think. the first one was the actual one, and then yes. nope. Yeah, I love I love that twist. Um, I love that they I love that they brought in the the nineteen hundred spiritualism because I personally I think that's just fascinating with like the seances mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the origins of the Ouija board and all of that. Um, so they're they're bringing all of that into. I mean, and now and, there's a PG thirteen Ouija board movie out again. And, like, and I really like I, just I, like Witchboard from the eighties with Tom. I know that was going to be horrible. I always hated the character of Dorian Gray, but this series mm-hmm. kind of made me like him. They, they make him less annoying. Yeah. Like I don't know. I don't. I know. I get why he gets lumped in with all of his other books, but like it's just. I'm like, okay, yeah. So he can go do whatever he wants. I awesome. always hate him because he's perfect and yeah. he doesn't. Just range. like every other white dude. <laughs> wow. Gee. Yay. Yay. White dudes. Yay. He is. He is, he is the, uh, he's the, the epitome of the white dude. White I can dude. do whatever I want. I'm 25 year olds yeah. forever. I'm rich he's, and he's I can do whatever He's got no consequence. He's not even as interesting as a vampire. <laughs> no. Um, no. And I like what they're doing with vampires in that a lot, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they're more they're, like monsters, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're doing a lot with that. So I would say those are. Same as the strain. You know, very few mm-hmm. of them actually have like. Stuff going on in their head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, the strain is. Uh, we keep talking about the yeah. strain in the first series because I read the book. That's book, and that book I actually read was the strain <laughs> because Guillermo. Thank you, Guillermo, for doing short chapters and stuff like a like a Dan Brown novel where you can digest it little bit by little bit. And there's oh, you feel like you're making progress because oh, there's a new chapter every three pages. I'm okay with that personally, but and um, I have not read the strain. I've. It's funny. I actually used an article by him about vampires mm-hmm. in my monster class. Well, I learned about uh, the strain. I have not read his book. I learned about the strain when Guillermo was on uh, on Craig Ferguson talking about it before the book, first book came out, and that got me interested because he purposely, specifically wanted to create a vampire um, uh, uh, b- 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 series or or something, mm-hmm. a, a media piece that was the antithesis of Twilight. That was that was back to gross, disgusting, horrible, horrific 
terror-inducing vampires, not sparkly douchebags and trees. But see, I think that's the thing that people miss about Twilight, is that, to me, is the single most frightening vampire story we've ever had. You're right. Because um, of the relationship it, aspects of it. It's so many people that abuse is, is not only okay, but desirable yeah. and romantic. And yeah. So it's the greatest it's, horror it's story of all. Yeah, yeah, to me, because they, they don't, people don't even see it. They're like, wait, what do you mean that's it's, not it's okay? Ter- it's terrifying. And now we don't have just have teenage yeah. girls reading oh, yeah. about that. We have housewives reading mm-hmm. Fifty Shades of Grey, well, which was... Fanfic yeah. or slash fic yeah. or whatever off of that. That of adult that. adult women read Twilight. I read Twilight yeah. as obviously as an adult, given my age, um, because uh, a friend of mine who worked in a bookstore. She's like, okay, all all the teenage girls are coming in and reading this book. What's going on with this book? Because that was kind of her thing. And so she she's like, you know, no, no, you've got to read this, and it's mm-hmm. it's frightening and, and terrifying. That's that's, a, that's an interesting point that I think people should be aware of is that just because it's a work of literature that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it takes very, very um, a lot of time to get into the discipline of being able to be a novelist or whatever. It doesn't mean that it's is going to be beneficial. Like, there's a lot of like literature that's kind well, of dangerous. Dangerous, exactly. It's dangerous. It's, it's dangerous, and people should be aware of that. Destructive. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing that keeps coming up about Twilight for me over and over and over again, and, and is is how horribly dangerous that is for young girls to get this idea in their head that that's what they should be aspiring to in terms of a relationship. That even if that's not directly what is said and said this is this and that's that, that idea is being planted in their head and they're romanticizing the idea of being Bella and being trapped in that horrible, horrible world. But it also allows for a great place to talk about those things because it it also makes it... Is safer because it's fiction. So let's it's let's let Twilight become the modern day uh, um, catcher in the rye of. Here's an example of what not to do. Here's an yeah. example of how not to be. You know, and that's the thing that that that, that young people don't get about Catcher in the Rye is is. Holden Caulfield's an asshole, and here's why. And here's why else. you should yeah. not be him. And and but then you get the occasional misguided eighth grade teacher who romanticizes this figure and thinks he's this awesome guy who's anti phonies, and it's because of that book we lost John Lennon. So there you go. Yeah, another one of those uh, books that are dangerous is the uh, Fountainhead. Oh, people still love Ayn Rand. I feel like that book is extremely dangerous. I got mine. Too bad for you. Yay! Was it John Oliver who's got the "Why is this still Why is this still a thing?" section Mm -hmm. on on his show, and he did he did her for one. Was you know why are we still even talking about? It's frightening that those ideas are still ideas are really really hard to kill. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. And I think for me. you know, the strain is great and it's gruesome and it's it's a disease and that the parasite thing just like creeps me out yeah, watching yeah. it. Like, there's not a lot in movies that I get creeped out by or scared by. There's some creepy shit the, in, in, the, in the strain. Yeah, that one gets me. And especially for a TV show. <laughs> so great. And the psychological mm-hmm. aspects of it and all of that stuff. And... Um, it just it's... Well, it also explores so much about how we we view disease and, oh, yeah. and things like the CDC oh, yeah. and and of course they're all just lying to us for mm. some god unknown reason because uh, that would make sense um, for them. And to also, lie. I think the uh, the the Stoneheart character is really interesting because he symbolizes the the the, the problem that we have now with the one percenters mm-hmm. and whatever. He's 
he's overriding yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. All just, of those. You know, Guillermo's yeah. very subtle. I mean, he yeah. he he takes those themes. He's it's it's that old example I said again of, of a contemporary work of fiction that is incorporating <laughs> themes and ideas and things that are actually happening in the world and putting them into a piece of art that that will hopefully subvert your knowledge, subvert what you think you know, subvert about how things work. Yeah, it's creeping up. It, it crept up as, oh, we're, we're just another dumb show. Look, we have monsters. Because it started out kind of like, eh, vague and whatever. Right. And, but it's shaping up to be this, like, right. be, you know, better yeah. type of uh, work of, um, you know, horror. I like it a lot. Yeah. The Strain was great. Um, I'm, I'm also recommending American Horror Story. Uh, Carnival or uh, not Carnival uh, freak, uh, show. freak Show we're only a few episodes in at this point um, uh, but it's it's still just every week uh, those guys every year they come back they do it again this ensemble cast comes back and just blows you out of the water with how good the acting is how good the writing is and how um, all these people who are in such a bizarre situation are dealing with with the consequences of their actions and all that and it just it's such good television. It's it so it's really so good. good. And oh my god, the Bowie number at the in the first episode. <laughs> yeah, I thought about you when I saw that. Um, I, I, that was my first thought. Was like, oh, he's. I can't that. tell you how delicious <laughs> uh-huh. it is to me that there is a group of people who think about me whenever Bowie crosses their path, <laughs> and then how I have embedded myself on so many people's. Radar of, of of whenever Bowie comes around, and it's like maybe it's a little little inch closer to the greatness. You should him. maybe start the Church of Bowie. Maybe I should start a Bowie podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> uh, I wouldn't eat. I wouldn't sleep. You got any recommendations for this week? Yeah, since we, we have uh, uh, you know it's a book centric show, I'm going to recommend two books. <clears throat> Number one, it's a book by Jared Diamond called Guns, uh, Germs, Guns, and Steel. That's a great one. Uh, which, you know, talks about, like, you know, his reinterpretation of how the uh, Eurasian, you know, tribes actually colonized. And it's an interesting, really interesting book full of, like, a different take of, on old ideas. And the second one, it's a book by Noam Chomsky called Manufacturing Consent, which you should read if you want to learn about why you want what you want, because it's due to the media. It's, you, it's, it's people you, telling yeah. you you want this, you need this mm-hmm. thing. When yep. Actually, you just want. So Noam Chomsky breaks down in a very intelligent way because he's actually an MIT uh, ling- uh, he's a linguist, linguist, yeah. linguistic professor. Uh, he breaks down exactly why the media is so effective at manipulating people, mm-hmm. and it's a great book. It's also a documentary. If you don't want to read it, there's a documentary called Manufacturing Consent. You should look it up. I don't think you can ever go wrong with Noam Chomsky. Uh, I, don't I think, think so either. Yeah. I think linguistics are one of those fields that people don't know anything about. Like today, I brought up uh, with somebody else. We're talking about uh, Deborah Tannen, who's also a linguist, uh, and she generally looks at uh, the differences in how men and women speak hmm. uh, and how we're socialized to communicate differently. Wow. Oh, that's yeah. very that's very sharp in Japan. A country like yeah. Japan has two oh, different yeah. dialects for male and female. But we do too. Yeah, and it, we do. it took me a long time growing up to realize somewhere I'd missed that. So my my oh. version of communication was, I guess, much more akin to what men do. And so I didn't understand mm. why um, mm. I, I didn't often get along with women or why they'd mm. like, get annoyed with me or mad at me for things because I'd be like, but wait, this is what like I'm supposed, you know, I'm, I'm doing. Uh, women will tell you about a problem, but they don't often want you to tell you how to fix it. What they're, mm. what, they just what, want to talk about yeah. the problem. 
And we're, we're socialized to do this, and I didn't realize that for the longest time. So I'd be like, oh, well, why don't you try this? And, and then I'd have this person be mad at me mm. uh, or annoyed with me because I wasn't listening, oh, which was how they interpreted it. And, right. and I was, right. but I thought I was helping. Right. Um, and so and we're socialized that, to be problem solvers yeah, because we have do. to be the man and, help, and solve all the problems and kill yeah. the spider and, and, and change the light bulb and you know mm-hmm. and, and fix so, the car. And so, guys, the gas, if, you, if the gas. You, yeah, you, want, you want to figure these things out, start with manufacturing consent. That's a good start. And, and further along to that point is uh, Noam, Noam Chomsky with Dick Jokes, Bill Hicks, the greatest, <laughs> the, one of the greatest living comedians of all time. Get, you can go hear him on iTunes or Oh, wait, so else. there's non-living comedians? That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, true. true. He's not alive. Sorry. There's, there's uh, those comedians? That was a poorly worded phrase. But anyway, one of the greatest comedians who ever lived yeah. and uh, who described himself as Noam Chomsky with dick jokes and I definitely agree with that assessment I so, agree he's one of the greatest men so thank you Sue for, for joining us it's been a lovely podcast uh, find us on uh, please uh, go and uh, follow us on Twitter something to XP or something to XP on iTunes and uh, WordPress and please remember always please be kind The Something Something Experience podcast was conceived and produced by Ash Jones and Michael John Simpson. Intro music, Tedium Cheekwork by Bodgon20 and outro music, Help Me I'm in Hell by Nine Inch Nails. You can find us online at Something2XP on iTunes, WordPress, and YouTube. Please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Email Something2XP at gmail.com. We invite your feedback. Please be kind.